Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings citizens. Oh, I screwed that up. Greetings citizens. <laughs> <laughs> now we'd have to, we're not going to do the intro, that's the end. Uh, it's a science fiction movie podcast. We talk about sci-fi movies on the show. Uh, we have been working through the current Monsterverse, which is probably about to come to an end. I don't know if uh, there'll be any after Godzilla vs. Kong, but we did Godzilla 2014 last time, so this time, naturally, we are doing Kong Skull Island, which came next on the list. 2017, this came out. And, yeah. Uh, so, we're going to get into it. We'll give our opinions. Uh, obviously, we both saw this at the time when it came out in theatres. We both watched it again uh, for this this podcast. And we'll dive into this slightly different reimagining of Kong. And it has to be different because... The original story of King Kong doesn't work if you want King Kong to A, be more of a hero that can be in a shared universe, and B, go on to be in more shared universe movies. So we can't do the Empire State Building, we can't do the Beauty Killed the Beast, uh, we have to do some different things. Which, honestly, if I'm going to get a positive out of the way first, I would say that maybe is the one thing that maybe benefits it is that it's forced to kind of do a few different things that mm-hmm. aren't just the King Kong story again. So, what are your feelings, your general feelings on Kong Skull Island? It's okay. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't love it. Um, I know a lot of people critique uh, the last Godzilla we reviewed <laughs> about the uh, human characters being like kind of dull. Um, I think this tries to make them too interesting to where they become awful characters <laughs> for the most part or just like nobody's got any kind of arc uh, everybody's trying to be a comic relief and it's uh, it's really not very good with the exception of some lines from john c Riley, he's pretty funny sometimes but um uh yeah and the kong stuff is is decent he's not quite as sympathetic as i thought he was going to be which is a bit of a negative. Um, he looks good. I like that he's big. You know, one of the reasons they had to reboot it also and make a difference is, is that he's got to be big enough to take on Godzilla, right? So he's got to be big, big. Which he isn't yet. Like, if he, if he was still this size in the new movie, he'd be tiny compared mm-hmm. to Godzilla. But, yeah, they say he's still technically like an adolescent in this. Yes. So they're, they're saying that he's still got some growing left to do just to explain why he happens to be Godzilla-sized and... Godzilla yeah. Overall, like it's it's a bit of a disappointment, um, but it's it's not it's not a terrible film. There there's a lot that I like in it. Kong Skull Island to me is a really weird mixed bag of a movie. It's probably something I would I would say is a disappointment in the sense that the obvious things to make me feel for for Kong and maybe build a relationship with some of the characters fails miserably and i don't think i I, you know i remember getting to the the end of the movie that first time i saw it and just kind of feeling like just kind of indifferent it's it's okay i guess there's a kong's fighting some things it's it's, Mm -hmm. it's okay but not really feeling any particular emotion towards anything uh and it's funny you you brought up the to compare it to godzilla 2014 I, i think one of the first things we should talk about is the human character i think talking about the human characters and then the monsters was very much something we did in godzilla 2014 and i think we're going to do <laughs> yeah. it here again with this uh the human characters in kong 
what's funny to me about this movie is that people give Godzilla 2014 shit for Alan, Aaron Taylor-Johnson. I keep wanting to say Anna Taylor-Joy every time I say Aaron Taylor-Johnson's name. Uh, that his character is really bland and that the humans in that movie aren't that great. I think the characters in this movie make him look like he's from like uh, a character study film piece of, of, <laughs> of a bygone era. The characters in this, and it's what's so funny about it, is I would definitely say that Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston and Samuel L. Jackson, but he's a very different role, but I'm just talking about the heroes specifically here. I would say that they are better actors than Aaron Taylor-Johnson, but I think mm-hmm. that the, their characters in this somehow are some of the most bland, forgettable like almost blank pages of characters that i have ever had the misfortune of like having to sit through and i think that one of the big key differences is that aaron taylor johnson and godzilla he at least has something he's fighting to which is to get back to his wife and get back to his son and have this happily life with his family that he wants and mm-hmm. even brian cranston at the start of the film is all about yeah make sure you cherish your family because i lost my wife and i didn't really pay attention to you once that happened because i was obsessed with the the mysteries and whatnot don't make my mistakes you know go go be a husband and a father live your life blah, blah blah this movie brie larson and tom hiddleston in this movie they don't exist for any other purpose than the confines of what happens in the runtime of this movie and you never feel anything else yeah, they try to make Tom Hiddleston like the cool bad guy who's the reluctant hero slash mercenary. Like his his introduction is like this really over the top um, scene in like a bar or club nightclub where he's like got these sick moves and we're like, oh, okay, he's a badass who can who can fend for himself. Like he's he's the one who's going to lead them through the jungle because he can fight people with a pool cue. But it's. I don't know. Every time like he's in the jungle, he kind of just looks too pretty to be there to me. <laughs> like, like he doesn't he doesn't look like he's part of that time or or part of that um, that world even. Yeah, actually, to talk about that pool cue scene where you know the first time you meet him, John Goodman and his uh, sorry, it's still one of the few actors in this that I don't know from a million other things. Uh, his name's Corey Hawkins, apparently, but Brooks. Yeah, he he was in uh, Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, so so John Goodman takes Brooks to this bar in somewhere in Asia, and they're there to find Tom Hiddleston because he's the best tracker there is. He's the best tracker, <laughs> and they're going to find him. And when they come out of the bar, and it's not even just a bar; it's like a there's like prostitution going on. It's you know one of these seedy little like places, yeah. and they come in. And there's this very quick scene of him, like, sort of, like, he's playing pool for money and he wins, but then the guys try to, like, fight him to so they don't have to pay him. And it's, like you say, it's just this quick little action scene. And it feels like, it feels like the director saw a scene like this in another movie and wanted to just quickly as possible sort of do the same thing, but without any of the actual pacing or build-up. Because I think other movies that do this type of introduction for your badass character is you have a bit more of a build-up to the moment where the you know the, the the villainous characters in the scene will like try and turn turn it sideways or try and double cross them and it'll show but it, it comes across as so quick and so just bullet point like mm-hmm. pieces of a scene that by the end of the scene i'm like i feel like you're trying really hard to make tom hiddleston seem cool and you've not convinced me uh and then on a similar he, he did a really cool thing but i i don't know if i buy it 
And then in a similar vein, I think Brie Larson suffers almost the exact same thing, where she's set up as this war photographer, or an anti-war photographer, as she points out. Mm-hmm. And there's a quick little scene of her in a, a red room. Uh, a red room. A dark room, sorry. <laughs> There's red lights. There's red lights. But, uh, you know, it's a dark room. They're kind of an ancient thing now, right? No one uses dark rooms anymore. <laughs> but she's looking at photos and she gets this job because she believes in conspiracies. And that's basically it. These two characters, and they're not even love interests, even though there's, like, a couple of glances of, like, I don't know, attraction, maybe. Vaguely. I mean, they're both beautiful people, so it's kind of implied, yeah. I think. <laughs> I think that, well, that's the big problem I have of it, is everything's so vague with these two characters. There's very little arcs to them. The only arcs they really have at all is that they both kind of want to, like, help Kong by the end. They both go from being indifferent to wanting to protect Kong from evil Samuel L. Jackson, and we'll get to his character in a minute. But that's basically their whole thing. Neither right. of them have arcs. Neither of them have gone in believing one thing and then... Because I thought with him, because at the start, he, he's basically a mercenary. They offer him money to go and be a tracker. He's not actually in any kind of like service agency anymore or anything like that. So you're thinking, oh, maybe he'll learn to care again by the end of the movie. Ah, oh, there's none of that. There's, <laughs> there's not really. Right. I mean, I think it's like Goodman's character who says to him, like, people who don't leave the jungle unless uh, until they found something they're looking for or whatever. And then it cuts to Brie Larson. So it's kind of implied like, okay, she's going to be the thing that he is really looking for. But then there's no romance. But then there's no real romance. There's like a couple of, there's like one hand holding scene, but it's out of panic. And then like he goes to try to save her at one point. And again, it's nothing really happens. So this is something that I've brought up with. (laughs) confusing. This is something I've brought up with horror movies before where they're so scared of doing cliched or or doing stereotypes that they go so far in the other direction to not be a cliche that they effectively do something really either bland or just in this case i would say they go so far away from not wanting to have the typical romance in a movie like this that they effectively have nothing there is nothing between them and it just I, feels... I really think the only reason Brie Larson is in the film is just because they wanted to have a female character for some for that will connect with Kong in some level as like an homage to the original film. And even that is very thin. Like very it's thin. Paper thin. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Yeah. It, the characters in this are, are, so, are so... And there's a lot of ca- other characters as well. John Goodman is the head of Monarch, which is the, the shared universe thing that was introduced in Godzilla. Uh, but this is the 70s, of course, we're set in. Um, and they let you know it's the 70s. There's a lot of music and stuff. You know, we're exiting Vietnam and we're going to play songs left and right in the soundtrack. They let you know. John Goodman's the head of Monarch and he is trying to get this permission to go on this mission because they found Skull Island and they want to go to Skull Island. And they convinced the dude from uh, uh, Jenkins from Six Feet Under and uh, Cabin in the Woods and various other things. Uh, mm-hmm. They convinced Step him. Brothers. Don't, don't, don't. I know John C. Riley's in this, but let's not let's not <laughs> drag down the tone with a Will Ferrell movie, please. How dare you? Step Brothers is great. <laughs> it's trash. It's positively trash. Have you seen it? Yes, I've seen it. And you still think it's trash? Yes, I was forced to watch it because I was I made my opinion of Will Ferrell very clear, and someone said you have to watch Step Brothers; it's the best. I watched Step Brothers; my opinion was unchanged. Well, my opinion of you has changed. 
trash. Actually, <laughs> sorry, to keep it on brand, straight up garbage. So, <laughs> so you've got him, and there's a little bit of backstory with John Goodman's character with him saying he was on a ship in like the, the, the 40s or whatever, and like they covered up what happened to it but he saw some sort of monster there was something underwater that took down the, the ship and that's why he's been obsessed with finding monsters his whole life and uh, no one else really believes it ex- except he's you know uh, brooks his assistant dude uh but and even he's kind of skeptical he, he believes in something else that's kind of also a little crazy to most people and so they've kind of found each other uh but that's kind of it other than that you've got all the soldiers who are with samuel jackson samuel jackson's kind of the the antagonist of the film because he is the soldier who has nothing outside of being a soldier and therefore he has to find a reason to fight and because they've, they've left vietnam they've abandoned that war as he puts it he doesn't want to say the lost he needs something else to hunt he wants to have a purpose everyone else wants to go back home with their families everyone else wants to go and start a business or do something else he wants to be a soldier he wants to be a good soldier and he becomes obsessed with right. hunting kong that's his thing he becomes captain ahab <laughs> yes and then you've got a variety of other characters for you know to you know the the various pilots and soldiers and and the squad um some of them you, you know shia wiggum's in this movie i like him he's a dependable character actor yeah i like him a lot too yeah um, i don't really like him so much in this i think he's fine in this actually he's got the best line of dialogue in the whole movie um okay i sure but uh, he's he's depended so much him and Easy E, who's uh, the other <laughs> straight out of Compton guy whose name I don't know. But he uh, they have these like this rapport, this back and forth throughout the film that's supposed to be the comic relief, and I I just don't think it's very funny. No, I agree. It's not very funny. I think some of it has the problem that a lot of modern comedy does, where it doesn't cut away for a start. I mean, it's just debatable if any of the jokes would be funny anyway. But there's one in particular where it's when they're just getting into the helicopters before they go to Skull Island. Mm. And uh, is it easy, you said? <laughs> well, that's his... Yeah, that's who he plays in Straight Outta Compton. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, well, he... he uh, he's Mills in this. I just checked. He's Mills. So, okay, Mills. Mills says something about, you know, why, why, why is the Sarge taking us out? Or what the Colonel, I think, is. Why is the Colonel taking us out here? Uh, when we could be going home to our beds, we, you know, we were on our way home, blah blah blah, and this uh, basically the joke becomes, wait, you know, don't you want to be in your bed to share with him? It's like, do you have a bed? And then it could just cut away there, like, but then it stays on him for like an extra couple of lines, and he's like, no, seriously, do you have a bed? Do you have a bed? Do you seriously have a bed? Like, cut yeah, away! It's, it, it's too it. much. <laughs> Stop it! But Shea Wiggum does have the best line in the movie, though. There's a random moment after the first big attack when all the, the helicopters have came down and he's, he opens like a tin of food and just starts eating it with a spoon. And the one interaction between these two characters that I really like is that Mills says to him, what, what the hell? How do you even have a ha- appetite right now? And Shia Wiggum just goes, he just sort of shrugs and goes, eating's for the living. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but for some reason I really like that line. <laughs> I don't know why you like that line. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I, like I thought you meant like the more dramatic moment he has later. Oh no, um, oh, no. not not his like final moments, but like it's <laughs> I, there, he has somewhat of an okay line like later on. Um, but as far as the comedy goes, uh, <laughs> it really is more of a miss than I don't know if it, any of the lines made me laugh. Couple of John Cena ones. There's a funny one about ants that I liked. 
uh, th that might be it. <laughs> I like I say, I, I still even I think the line's funny. I just like it. I just think it's he's, a good line. He's a really likable guy. Like I, uh, he's he's a really likable like character that when you see him on screen. He was in uh he was in Vice Principals, the HBO series, where he like every line he had was just absolute gold. And he's such a likable guy that is supposed to be the main character's antagonist, but he's just so full of nothing but nice and <laughs> I uh, he's so hilarious. Like I enjoy every time I see him on screen because of that show. Um But I I, I think it's just yeah, like what you said, it's just poorly directed. <laughs> John C. Riley, have to talk about him. He's probably the one character that I, I, when the movie came out, he was the only character that I heard anyone say anything nice about. <laughs> really, it was like he was the one memorable character because the, the movie opens with a pilot in the in World War Two crash landing, and then a, a second pilot from from Japan also crash landing, and they're fighting each other, they're sort of chasing each other and trying to kill each other, and then that's kind of we get our first tease of Kong. And but then of course the big thing is that when our characters in the seventies arrive here. This, this young man has grown into John C. Riley, and he's been living here since the the 40s. And he's a little bit cookie, a little bit crazy, but uh, he has... But here's the one thing that I said Aaron Taylor-Johnson had in Godzilla, which is he has something to go home for. He has a wife and potentially a fully grown son that... Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe she's remarried, but even if she has, I'm sure he still wants to see her and see how his son is and like see what the world's like. Yeah, he's been thinking about her cast away on this island for... 20 30 years yeah it's like i don't think he's great in the movie i think he is the the best out of a bad batch of characters that's how <laughs> i describe him i would agree with that yeah yeah i mean not all of his lines are, are funny to me but the, he does have the comedy that works because i think he is just a really great comedic actor and he's 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 got so much personality on the screen that it's hard not to like him I, I'm conflicted. I have two big comedy problems, and I think you actually like one of these, given something you said earlier. But this is a PG-13, and PG-13s have their one F-bomb. And I think the one F-bomb that this movie has is the weirdest one F-bomb I have ever heard, because it's so worthless and just random and doesn't... Because you, you can have your one F-bomb have a great moment. It can be a great bit of impact, because you've saved up your F-bomb. It's a moment of tension or a moment of comedy, and what's weird about it is John C. Riley. he says something about watch out for the ants. And he looks up and goes, no, seriously, they're really big ants. So he's already made his real point. But then he just adds on a second line and goes, yeah, they're really effing big ants or something to that effect. He just throws in a random F-bomb, and but it's like an afterthought like line. And I just, I just, every time, like, I remember when I got to it, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this from the first time and going, what the hell? Why is this your one F-bomb? is this weird moment later on in the film we actually get samuel L. jackson almost saying mother effer right because of course it's samuel L. jackson he has to go through his yeah you think he would save it for sam jackson yeah uh, but they give it to john c Riley for a really weird moment the other john c Riley scene that i really want to complain about and i this is again this is why i hate about modern comedy so much so John C. Riley is giving them exposition about the island and about Kong and about the potential villains, which up until this point haven't really been introduced yet. This is the first time we really hear about them. And he's talking about uh, the, the villainous monsters that killed Kong's parents. And that Kong's good at dealing with the little ones, but there's a big one. If the big one ever comes up, Kong might be screwed because he's not full size yet, blah, blah, blah. But when he's talking about these villainous monsters, right, this is the real threat. He's like... 
Well, I mean, the, the natives here, they, they never speak the name, but I call them skull crawlers. And there's this weird awkward moment where they both Hiddleston and Larson kind of stare at him. And he's like, well, I just kind of made that up right now, but uh, it's like, but I'm trying to scare you because I'm trying to make it clear that it's serious. And Hiddleston and Bree have this moment where they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm fine calling them. You can call them about that. Yeah, it sounds killing me. Yeah, it's really not good. I hate it. <laughs> I hate this scene with a passion. It's just, it's so drawn out and trying to be funny. It's trying so hard to be funny. And I'm like, you're I not know. being funny. I know. There's a lot of that in this film. Just like everything. I think it is. I think a lot of his stuff was improv- improvised. Mm-hmm. And, sounds like I mean, it. So I think the outline is pretty funny, but I, I don't think it drags up. I think he's just like he's talking about like there's ants the size of birds and then there's like a bird call he's like you think that's a bird but it's an effing ant (laughs) like that's and he says it so serious like okay that was kind of funny but um the and it doesn't drag out any further but that one that you just said like yeah that one drags out a lot and it just kills any amount of humor that might have even been in that scene yeah I do really like the scene though like (laughs) I like the way like the 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 murals all come together and stuff. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, a lot of characters. Uh, there's, there's some other minor characters uh, that are they're in there, of course. But Toby Kebbell's the... kind of a minor character for some reason. Um, well, this is a weird one because he's actually playing Kong, as you pointed out to me. <laughs> I won't take credit for knowing yeah, because you told me so. this. Yeah, I think so. Like he, in some places he's credited as Kong, and some places he's not. Someone else is credited as Kong. So I'm I'm actually confused of whether or not he does play Kong. I suspect maybe it's a case of, uh, I don't know. Maybe it just be Because the guy, the guy who plays Rocket in the uh, Planet of the Apes movie is also credited to play Kong. So I, I'm not sure. Um, I think I heard the director say that he that Toby Kebbell played Kong. Yeah, Toby Kebbell's kind of an interesting case because he may or may not have played Kong. So this human role is maybe more of a extended cameo. I honestly, my weirdness with Toby Kebbell is not so much that he has kind of a short lifespan in the movie. It's more that he scenes because he gets separated from everyone else kind of relatively early on, and he has a bunch of scenes on his own that just kind of ultimately just serve to give you a couple of big action sequences because the main plot is you know moved on from dealing with Kong for now. So we have a couple of random scenes where he just kind of ends up running into things happening so that we can have some stuff happen when there's nothing else interesting going on. Yeah, I think yeah. he's he's supposed to be the goose of... By goose, I mean like Top Gun goose of the crew, where like he's the one who's got something to live for. He's always writing his son. Um, so we're, we're supposed to be like hoping that, that he's the one that makes it out. Um, and then... But the stuff that happens to him is just like, like back to back, just unfortunate things to, to the point where it feels like the movie is picking on Toby Kebbell. And, uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't really, I don't really like it. <laughs> like, I think his character is kind of treated unfairly. And then he's sort of cut short from the film that, I mean, he's a big enough actor. I think that he should have had more. I think, I think there's too many characters. If they were consolidated a bit more, um, that would have been very helpful. I'll, I'll be honest, after Fantastic Four from 2015 and his performance in it, I am okay with him being treated badly in everything I ever see him in. 
I just, I love, I love Koba. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't have, Koba doesn't have he, Toby. He, Toby Kebbell and Jason Isaacs, or not Jason Isaacs, uh, Isaac Clark. Yeah, I always do that. You do that too. Or you call him Jason Isaacs. Isaac Clark. Do I? Do I? <laughs> yeah, what, what it's happened before. I'll, I'll tell you what for. <laughs> yeah, check the tapes. <laughs> but Isaac Clark and uh, Toby Kebbell, I mean, they were both in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, so I just, I want them to be successful, but they just have the worst agents who give them the, the most horrible roles, and uh, they they should be good. They should be great. Mm-hmm. And he is a good actor. I think Toby Kebbell is a good actor. He's just, um, I don't know. I, I just, Gary Oldman I, went through a period like this. There was a time when Gary Oldman, he'd just been in like Batman Begins, and other than the next couple of Batman films, he was in nothing but just like it was, was it the Unborn he was in, and then he was in s- something else. And he, he was a pretty established actor by the time he was in um, Batman Begins. Yeah, he was. No, he was. But he, it was like everything aside from those movies, though, he was just in complete trash like, yeah. constantly. It was weird. It was like, man, get on your engine because <laughs> you're getting given just nothing but drags. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, I'm still rooting for Toby Kebbell, and if he did play Kong, he did a fine enough job, I guess. But one of the, one of the characters that doesn't get a lot of time. You you talk about Toby Kebbell's character being treated poorly, right, or cruelly, perhaps one might say. Mm-hmm. I would say there's another character that I actually think is unjustifiably treated cruelly, in a way that really sticks out. And, and I mean this in two fronts. On one front, I'd forgotten until this repeat viewing that there was a character who has a death that's actually oddly similar to that really over-the-top death from Jurassic World with the assistant. Yeah, uh, you're right. There's a, there's a character who's, like, picked up by birds and, like, like we see, like, it's, it's, it's in silhouette, but you see, like, arms been ripped off and it's, like, really over-the-top. That character, though, I want to point out that that character, he's, like, one of the head scientists, right, who's there to, like, do the, the, the ge- geographical study of the island and so on, right? Yeah, he's they might tre- as well be wearing red shirts. I mean, yeah, them as a whole, but he—he he actually like that that character it disputes that they should go to the island because the storm's too bad and they should reconsider and like recalibrate and think of a better plan. And he's treated like he's the weaselly, cowardly, like little villain one. And I don't understand why. He's actually right. He's the sensible one, and yeah. then he's sensible later, and then he gets killed in the most brutal way possible. And I'm like, why is the movie treating this character like he deserved that death? He was the he was right. <laughs> I mean, we just watched the the nineteen thirties Kong, and I mean, I loved watching everybody get stomped on and chewed on, and like it was fun. Like, yeah, you shouldn't be there. You guys deserve this. Uh, but this, I don't know. This movie seems like really cruel with its deaths, and to the point where uh, it's just I, I I don't know. I'm sort of neutral on them. Like, I like a lot of the monster designs. We haven't talked about them yet, but I do genuinely like them. But, like, there are, there are like, three deaths in this film that I genuinely hate. Because <laughs> I just, I don't like, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a weird character beat or uh, it's meant to be almost laughed at, but it, it just comes off as, like, too cruel for it. Um I actually, or, or it just kind of made the, the character feel useless. I'm going to disagree a little bit, because while I'm saying this character, the science character, is treated very cruelly, 
And I, I feel that way because he's he's almost giving this joke death as like a punishment for actually being the sensible one, even though he clearly was right uh, the entire time. I do think to get into some you know spoiler spoilery territory here, I think Shia Wiggum's ending is insanely amazing, and and the reason why I, I say this, I hate it. <laughs> no, the reason why I'm saying this is because they give him the moment that every movie like this has where the character is going to sacrifice themselves to protect everyone else, to give everyone else a chance to get away. And he like un- you know, uncooks a couple of grenades, he takes the pins out, he's walking in with his arms outstretched, and he's like, come for me, come for me, you son of a bitch, I'm right here. Do it, I'm here, do it! Kill me, kill me now! You know, he's having that moment, right? He's been all heroic. And the the monster, this the skull mm-hmm. crawler, whips him with his tail, sends him flying, and he explodes like a mile away from the monster. It does no damage whatsoever. And it is kind of darkly funny, but I kind of appreciated the subversion. It almost felt like a parody of other like monster adventure movies in a way. I think it's supposed to be a parody of war films. Because this is a war film. And he has like that platoon poster pose when he's doing it. Like he's going to sacrifice himself with the the like the Charlie Sheen moment with the with the the arms in the air and yeah the monster just like obliterates him um and it's totally useless and it's supposed to be comedic but I, I hate it like I think like I don't understand like the the point of it I think that it's 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 not it doesn't come off as funny it just comes off as like stupid <laughs> So Shia Wiggum's character earlier in the film has a scene uh, where he explains why he has the the gun that he has. He doesn't he doesn't carry the same type of rifle that everyone else has, and he explains that he got that from a farmer in Vietnam. And the point of his little speech, the, the little story that he tells, is that sometimes there's not an enemy until you go looking for one. You know that this guy never fired a gun before. This guy never been in a fight with anyone, but because America chose to get involved in this conflict because they were the invading force, essentially. Uh, this guy had to take up arms, and now he was this this enemy that he had to put down. And I think there's a sense of guilt that he has from that. Um, and I'm trying to, in my head, connect this with his ending, because I think it's interesting that he does throw that gun down. He's like, no, I'm not using this. I'm just going to go in with the grenades. Uh, I mean, obviously that story lends itself to the the film as a whole because the whole idea mm-hmm. with Kong attacking them when they arrive, he attacks them because they're dropping bombs on the island and this is Kong's home where he protects the natives. Of course Kong's going to be like, to hell with this! <laughs> I'm <laughs> You're screwing start... up the ecosystem by being here. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to start slapping choppers out the sky, you bitches, is, is basically his response to mm-hmm. that. And obviously Samuel Jackson takes us, he is the enemy, we must put him down. But... It's almost like, no, Shea Wiggum's character is thoughtful enough to realize that, oh, maybe this is, you know, all this is. He, he clearly is, because he doesn't have all the same exposure to the other characters that, like, because uh, Hiddleston and, and Brie Larson, they have scenes with uh, John C. Riley where they get the exposition, they get the backstory, they're told that Kong is the protector, they're told that these other monsters are the evil. Shea Wiggum and the other soldiers don't really get that until really late on, because they're with mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson, because they're in two parties, they get that much, much later. Uh, yeah, he's telling the story to Goodman's character. Yes, yes, uh, and yeah. So I like I think 
I can't explain the purpose. I'm trying really hard. I, I, I'm trying really hard to give it a purpose. I you know, I, I think it's it's meant to be funny because it's unexpected. And sure. I mean, it, it would be like, obviously, it's going to be the monster versus Kong and not uh, the monster versus Jay Williams character. So I I mean, we don't actually expect him to be able to do much, but it is like it is sort of a trope. To where people are like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay behind and buy you guys some time, and then everybody like doesn't because they're trying to save him, they don't actually get that much time bought, so the yeah. his death is like actually just useless. There, there is that. <laughs> I, I think, I think the main thing it's making fun of though is that he ultimately does nothing. Like, is he? It's playing up into us thinking he's going to have this heroic moment to save them time, and instead all he does is die in a really stupid way. Uh, like mm-hmm. males from the monster, I, th- I think that's ultimately what it is, and it's the sort of thing that maybe if I really was super invested in the characters of the movie, it might not have been as funny to me. I think it worked mm-hmm. in the moment for me because I was so detached from everything that I. Pre- I but it is true as well that Shea Wiggum is one of the more likable characters in the movie, partly just because he's Shea Wiggum more than anything else. <laughs> Uh, because there's a there's like a young soldier who's with them. He's actually with the uh, the Hiddleston team for most of the movie. The one with the red band, like the red bandana or whatever he is. Uh, mm-hmm. He he is like an engineer and he's kind of the young guy. He's got the baby face, um, and he he has the the moment where he's the first one to kind of like stand up against Sam Jackson uh, when Sam Jackson's trying to get them to kill Kong, um, and I couldn't help but feel that again. This would be another example of having too many characters. Is that we're spread between two, we're spreading what character what plot beats we have and what big character beats we have between two many characters it, yeah plus it probably doesn't help that they get separated so quickly in the beginning of the film so they don't really feel like a team it, it does feel like two separate groups the whole film yeah uh it's funny actually it's actually like 40 minutes in see if you actually pay attention to the time uh it's, it's, it's one of those things that I, I have this with a lot of movies where you don't really realize just how late or early something is, because it feels like, oh, it's the end of Act 1, it's early in the movie, but when you actually look at the time, like, oh, wait, that's like 45 minutes in before they split up, kind of thing. Yeah, well, Act 1 is, like, getting the team together. <laughs> yeah. All, almost to a fault, where it's just like a roll call of, here's Hiddleston, here's Larson's introductory scene, here's the the, the platoon's introductory scene uh, with Samuel <laughs> Jackson. Uh, you know, for, for Larson's, um, for her introduction, when she's on the phone... Uh, I read this in the trivia that she was actually on the phone with Thomas Middleditch, who's going to be in King of the Monsters. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, he would be too young to be in the same role, but for some reason he's on the phone. She's on the phone with him. Like It's his voice that's on the other line. Uh, I mean, (laughs) neat, I guess. (laughs) I I guess. Honestly, the shared universe elements of this, uh, just to talk about the post-credit scene, I know this is a weird order to do this in but uh, yeah I, I don't really understand what we're doing but that's okay y- you'll fix it <laughs> yes the, the post credit scene is kind of the just the laziest post credit scene you could possibly think of because it doesn't really set up to build anything you, you, you've got Brie Larson there you've got Tom Hiddleston there you've got uh, Brooks and uh, Asian lady who's been with the him lady. the movie <laughs> but has barely had any lines of dialogue um, mm-hmm. they're there and they explain to Hiddleston and Larson hey it's not just Kong there's, there's, there's more there's more monsters out there and it's okay so far so good the problem I have with this scene is two things 
one, you're setting up... This is your Avengers moment, right? This is your Sam Jackson at the end of Avengers saying, hey, there's a whole world that you're unaware of. It's not just this one thing. There's more. <laughs> However... Or the uh, the file that they're opening up in the desktop for um, for the Batman films or for the DC universe. <laughs> the one where they click on all the icons for their characters. <laughs> I haven't watched that movie in forever. I don't even know which one it's from, to be honest. It's, Batman it's v Superman? It's from Batman v Superman. But I'm, I'm comparing it to the Avengers one particularly because it's kind of the same message as that this world is this monster world is much bigger than you know and then mm -hmm. they proceed to show them images of things right my two problems with this is that one these two characters who are getting this information are never going to appear in any of these films ever because of the time period they're in right like unless there's some sort of time travel maybe if Kong had been a success they would do like a Kong 2 that's still set in the 70s and we'd see them again I don't know but it's not like Hiddleston and Real Arson are going to show up in, you know, Godzilla versus Kong, right? And we're going to no. put old age makeup on them and have walkers like, ah, we're coming, Kong, we're coming <laughs> to help you. I suppose um, they'd probably be recast if that were the case. Or, um, yeah, my, my other my issue but, with it is that, like, how much information did those other two characters have? The whole when they time. went to Skull Island, because I think they knew that there was... I don't think they, they knew about monsters. Good, Goodman did. Good, Goodman did. Goodman but, did, but the other the, the other two did not. But the whole, but that's, that's the, thing. the whole thing is pointless, because none of these characters are going to be part of the shared universe. The whole thing is pointless. Mm. Right? Well, we get to see, like, Rodan and Ghidorah. Well, that's problem, <laughs> that's problem number two, though, is that... All they show is a roll call for all of the monsters that are going to be in the very next film, which effectively makes this nothing more than just a teaser trailer for Godzilla King of the Monsters. That's all it is. Yeah. Uh, it just, it feels like, hey, here's all the but names. But when you were in the theater and you saw Ghidorah, did you, did you cheer a little bit? The, f yeah, the, first, a little? the first time, yes, because I hadn't <laughs> seen Ghidorah yet with this budget and with, you know, in this universe. And I was like, oh, this the tease Ghidorah. This time seeing it, I was like, this is a shit post credit scene. Like it really none of this, <laughs> none of this matters to anything or affects anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, why would they? I mean, I guess they could just recruit them. But like you're part of Marduk now because you've seen Kong. Yeah. Well, that, 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 I think that's the gist of it. Is that they are recruiting them, but to what end? I, and I, again, I can only assume they that, seem to be there against their will. I can only assume that if this did well, like a lot, if, if Kong made a lot of money. Enough to say we want more Kong sequels as well as the, the crossover. There'd be more movies set in this time period. There'd for... be like a 1980s Kong film. Yes, yes. They'd do the <laughs> X-Men thing where they'd have a, an 80s Kong and an 80s Kong. <laughs> yes. But if that, if that was the case, though, if that did happen, then this post-credits scene teasing Rodan, Mothra, Ghidorah, and Godzilla would feel even more weird because they wouldn't be getting to those characters, those monsters... No, be, not until 40 or 50 years later. Yeah, so they'd be interacting with Kong again and possibly other random monsters that might fight Kong. Yeah. Probably not Zilla, even though he is in the, like, opening credits, like, a bunch. But I don't think... I think Godzilla is disappears between the 50s and, like, 2014 or whatever, right? Yeah, that's the other thing that bugs me, actually, about this continuity-wise, is that... In the 2014 Godzilla, it makes it pretty explicit that the Navy were trying to kill, or at least the, the government were trying to kill Godzilla. That's actively mm -hmm. what the, the, the supposed nuclear tests were, is they were trying to kill Godzilla. And yet, in this movie, 
when John Goodman says, hey, I believe there's monsters and we should go and do a th thing, it's, everyone's like, ah, don't be crazy. Like, But honestly, if I'm going to give any jokes uh, a pass and say that was actually kind of funny, is at the start of the movie when they go to uh, uh, Richard Jenkins, because he's like a senator or something, and they're trying to get him to approve this this trip. And he's trying to describe why they're going there. And he's like, hey, this island's never been discovered before. And because it's the, the storms that are always around it, the ships have disappeared for years. And Jenkins makes a joke about, oh, so it's like the Bermuda Triangle or the tinfoil hat where blah, blah. I did laugh a little bit at uh, Goodman's line. It's more like the triangle than the hat. <laughs> I, did, I got a, a slight chuckle out of that line. I thought that was, a, I thought it was slightly funny. I'm glad that worked for you. <laughs> <laughs> That was my first warning sign of oh no, they can't even make <laughs> they can't even make Goodman and Jenkins funny. That's fair. That's fair. I well, mean, Jenkins I, is always funny. I think a big part of this, obviously, is the script. Another big part of this is the direction, which obviously the actors are part of that because they're directed. But uh, it's it it's funny. You sent me uh a message earlier about a trivia about how the director uh jordanville roberts he was inspired by video games of his youth and what's really funny uh is thinking about that when i think about this movie is that yeah it's kind of hollow like an old video game in a lot of ways where yeah it would be fine in a, in a video game where you have the gameplay and that's how you connect with it so the fact that the story and characters are a bit thinner not as big a deal it's like if, if the game is really fun then fine uh but a movie doesn't have that so you're left with what feels like a lot of and i don't mean that the look like video game cutscenes. i'm not i'm not critiquing the the look of the film I'm, I'm critiquing how hollow the film overall feels yeah i mean well video games don't follow the same sort of structure as a film and yes. that's why the when you play a video game like you could think the story is amazing but it probably doesn't translate very well the film yeah, because you, you're engaging with it in a different way. There's, a diff there's different tools being used to connect you to the story. Yeah. Uh, interactive tools. So it's a very different thing. But there's Yeah, some... I, sent, I sent you that trivia because uh, apparently there is a, a helicopter crash was inspired by a Resident Evil thing, which is like your thing. But yeah, yes. the, uh, and also the, the design of the monsters is apparently based off of a Pokemon, <laughs> which is... Uh, not our thing, not our wheelhouse. No, no. Although you you did say there was some U2s and Godzilla. Yes. So there's uh, one more connection. <laughs> the Pokemon shared universe. <laughs> that's, that's all they are. They're just giant Pokemon. That's all this is. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I, I, I guess we'll be watching Detective Pikachu next. <laughs> Oh, please no. Uh, I, we spent a lot of time talking about the humans. There's a lot of them, and I feel like they are fundamentally just... Despite the fact you've got a lot of good actors, you, you've got Hiddleston, you've got Larson, you've got Goodman, you've got Jackson, you've got Jenkins, you got a whole host of actors, Shea Wiggum, top to bottom, you get you got an all-star cast. So when you have this cast, and I'm still not really connecting to any of the characters... Yeah, there's something else wrong. And it tries real hard. I mean... Just to go back to Hiddleston for a second. So not only did they try to make Hiddleston look cool at the start of the movie with the pool fight scene, right? 
They also tried to make him really cool by giving him this really weird moment in the uh, the colored smoke where he puts oh on a God, gas mask. Where he becomes like a samurai. Yeah, he grabs <laughs> he grabs the, the the samurai sword, the katana that John C. Riley has, which because because the the, the the backstory with him and the Japanese pilot is that they became best friends surviving mm-hmm. on this island, which is a sweet idea out of itself. Um, well, yeah, once they realized there was something bigger than themselves, that mm. bigger than the war they were fighting, that they, you know, had to become allies in order to, to survive. And through that became friends. It's kind of yeah. sweet. Yeah, it's kind of sweet. Uh, but, you know, there's a moment in this, because they're going to like the sort of the, the big graveyard, right? They're traveling through the graveyard. Uh, the, 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 the evil monsters have left all these carcasses and whatnot. And... It's kind of misty and foggy, but at one at one point there's some like coloured flares or uh, gas grenades or whatever are set off, and Hellson puts on a, he picks up a gas mask from like an old corpse or something and puts it on his face, and he starts swiping at these like bat like monsters in slow motion, and I'm like, what movie am I watching? <laughs> Where did this come from? <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I agree. It's a it's one of those. Oh yeah, he's supposed to be the cool guy, who can like swing around a katana or a pool cue. <laughs> uh, yeah, his character is uh, not good. I've never, I've never seen a a movie try this hard to make someone cool, but yeah. fa- but fail in a way that's not even. Because I think when you watch some really bad movies and they try to like, so, you know, some like mystery science theater level movies and they're trying to make their main character seem like the cool guy, like they'll they'll just feel spectacular and it's really funny, or yeah, or whatever. But this just comes off as so, eh? It well, that's the thing with being cool, right? Is that it comes naturally that yes. you don't. In order to be cool, you can't try hard, and everything in this film, when it comes to the human characters, is try hard. And not just through their 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 dialogue and their like, actions, even just the direction and how they're, they're like how how they're shot, how how they're perceived. Yeah, it sort of becomes like a like a a slow motion fight, and it's a little bit of three hundred in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if they if they just sort of had like a moment, okay, he's going he's going to like pick up the katana and like wax some bad. Maybe it's just a bad idea in general. Maybe it is, but it just i don't know there's probably ways to do some of the scenes in this movie with his character that they wanted to do but just direct it completely differently and it would work because mm-hmm. it would be more confident and i guess that's the point is that when you're trying so hard it's because you lack the confidence just to be cool and i guess that kind of goes for direction too in a weird way uh sorry so. director sorry yeah no we're, we're shutting we're shutting all over <laughs> the director today sorry sorry mr roberts sorry um, have you seen any of his other work? I don't think I have. Let me click on him just to make sure that it I... looks like he's going to be directing a, a video game movie. He's doing a Metal Gear Solid film. Oh well, I mean, I'm happy that I I don't really have any attachment to that, so I don't have to worry about it. But uh, he did Kings of Summer, which I think did have some buzz when it came out. Mm. But that seems to be kind of it in terms of you know movies. He's done some TV episodes. He, he did a video short for Destiny 2, a video game thing. So let us take a minute, though, to thank our Patreon producers for the month. So thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Short, Board Now, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, Brett Williams, and David Brown. Uh, they are all $20 or more uh, as patrons, which is why they're producers. Tara, would you like to inform them about Patreon? 
uh yeah if you're a fan of our reviews uh please check out our patreon page it's patreon.com slash tv if you donate as low as one dollar per month you will get access to bonus episodes of the ace and if you if you donate five dollars per month you will get access to our ace reviews one week early yeah we don't we haven't really talked too much about samuel jackson either um yeah we his... should talk, we should talk about his character more you're right <laughs> yes go on what, what's your thoughts on samuel jackson's character i understand like why he's there this is a war film he's supposed to be he like represents america like in over their heads like if if he's america then then kong is like vietnam and like he's entering in his world thinking that he's got the hubris to be able to take him down but like, but he he doesn't know where he is. Like it's it's not his world, and um, his like obsession with uh, with Kong in order to def- in order to like make the the lives lost have a point. Um, like I I sort of get I I get the motivation. I think he's just a bit over the top, um, and. Uh, like there's even a, a point where like his, they're they're zooming in on his eyes after they've shown Kong's eyes and his eyes like twitching with madness and stuff. I'm like, okay, movie, this is a bit much. <laughs> all, all, also with slow motion, there's like slow motion flames. I think are explosions happening at this moment. Yeah, and again, like the, when his demise comes, it, it's just so quick and it means nothing really. Um, it, it's just sort of like they wanted to make this apocalypse now war film that gets invaded by King Kong, but it loses the effect of both the monster and the war movie by trying to combine it to me. I would disagree that they're trying to make an Apocalypse Now movie. I, I would agree that they're trying to borrow a lot of visuals from Apocalypse Now. I think that's definitely there. Uh, I mean, the posters were like all Apocalypse I, Now. I, I roll my eyes so hard, actually. There's a moment right before Kong first attacks the helicopters, there's like a close-up of like the aviators of one of the pilots and it's just he's just smirking as his as napalm he's loving the sight of napalm in the morning because <laughs> he's just grinning from ear to ear oh yeah i mean we have all the vietnam music <laughs> rock Which, music actually, this is probably a stupid complaint but i'm going to oh, make it i have one too and this is the same one right, maybe it's the same one right how stupid it is that one of the helicopters starts playing Black Sabbath because I don't care. None of those other helicopters can hear that song. I don't care how loud that's playing. All these <laughs> choppers going, all, all these all these rotors, no. No one is hearing that music. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's not the same complaint. My complaint is that you have a Vietnam movie and you don't use the song Fortunate Son. It costs too it's much. It's in every Vietnam war film. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe that was them trying not to be too cliche. They just used every other seventies <laughs> rock song. And so, some of these montages, I think some of them are fine because they give you like a like. There's an early one on the ship before they all leave in the helicopter where we're getting to know some of the soldiers. Brie Larson's taking photos of the the soldiers, and that's all that's all fine. I think because it's setting up. There's one later on though where they get to the village of the natives, and it's when they start to fix the boat up. There's a montage of Brie Larson taking photos of the natives. Yeah, and well, she's really... a photojournalist. That's what her job is there, I guess. Yeah, but it's this really happy montage where she's grinning and smiling. The music's really upbeat and happy. And I'm like, you were just in like a really insane thing where a giant ape like killed dozens of people and you might not get off this island alive. The tone just felt way off to me in this mm-hmm. scene. Just way off. 
Uh, Sam Jackson also like plays his greatest hits from other movies in this one. He holds, yeah, the hold on to your butts. There's also like a line that reminds me of Jackie Brown talking about the AK-47, but he's talking about a different type of weapon. Or I think maybe he's even talking about helicopter blades. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's just a lot of uh, like Sam Jackson's greatest hits in this film. It's yeah. Fine. I mean, yeah, yeah. Even, even the fact that he dies saying, you know, mother effer, but he doesn't finish it, obviously, because PG-13 and... And whatnot, and that's meant to be the joke. It 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 makes his death play for a laugh when if he's truly the antagonist. Because if if the core thing of this movie, right, if the core thing I'm supposed to care about is that he's trying to kill Kong, and then eventually our hero character say, you know what, no, we're going to stand up to him, and we're mm-hmm. not going to let him. I should care about that. I should be rooting for them to stop him. So his death shouldn't be just played as a as a joke. It shouldn't just be played as a ha 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 ha. He almost said his line, and he got slapped by Kong. Yeah, or like, uh, I mean, even if he represents like the America invading Vietnam, like the fact that his troops turn against him because they say, no, this is wrong. You're wrong to to want to defeat Kong. Like we shouldn't be here. That's like supposed to be the big turnaround also. But then again, like his, I don't know, his death just feels so goofy. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> his death bothers me. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with some of the other ones, but his death does. I don't like his death. Me. I don't like um, Shay Shay's death, and I don't like um, Toby Kettle's death. Those three, I, I just don't. They're, they seem so silly to me. Yeah, Toby Kettle's just kind of feels like ah, quick shock death. Like that's that's it. Yeah. Yeah, like what was the point of his character? We kept going back to him, <laughs> and then he's just gone. It makes it really hard to feel. I mean, I will say just on the cinematography, as much as as much as I, as much as I critique the direction for the most part, because I do think it rushes through moments that don't have the gravitas that they should. And while I do think some of the shots are a bit too over the top, there are one or two good spectacle shots. You know, the one that's in the trailer, which is the Kong in front of the sun as the helicopters are flying towards him, is a Great phenomenal shot. shot. Right, it yeah. is a spectacular visual. And if there's one thing I would keep from the movie, it would be that shot. I'd get rid of everything else, but I'd keep that shot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so fair play. I have to give fair, you know, credit where credit is couple, due. I, I like I like when Kong like when Toby Kebbell's like washing in the pool of water, and Kong just sort of shows up to like wash himself also of his wounds. Like I, I think those shots are really good. Um, I I like I like a lot of the shots of Kong. And oh, some of the well, other monsters we get are pretty fun. Well, let's let's talk about that scene. Let's talk about the scene with, uh, with Kebble and the the, the war. I think that the point of that scene largely is to show, like, like you said, so he's washing his wounds and then Kong washes his. So it's to show the look. Mm-hmm. See, Kong's just one of us. He's just he's washing his wounds. He can be hurt. He's not a bad guy. Uh, and it's kind of also an excuse to have. Oh, he fights a big squid <laughs> <laughs> and eats it. And eats it. It yes. is. I like watching. I like seeing him eat it. We don't see a lot of, you know, kaiju eat each other. <laughs> no. It's it's one of the... It's probably one of the best scenes in the movie, even though I think in the context of the movie, it feels like we're kind of wasting time because it's not really that important. But on its also, own... Also, Kong is super sneaky. <laughs> even though he's in a mountain. <laughs> Kong is super sneaky. That's just something they all share. The, 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 the kaiju yeah. can be sneaky whenever they want to be for some reason. <laughs> um, he, he... But, you know, he... he ends up having this big fight and one of the things that i liked because one of the things we said that godzilla did so well uh 
with Edward's direction was the sense of scale. I think one of the few times in this movie that I really got a good, great sense of scale is when he he throws like part of the tentacle into the water and the splash it actually hits quite near Kebble and the splash is so big. I'm like, oh, that really sold just how huge the differences in size, like just how minor Kebble is compared to him. So it's a it's a fine scene. It's, it's yeah. a fine scene on its own. And it's it's nice to know what Kong eats. I mean, he's sure. too big for this island. So. You you also see him drinking. That's the other thing I like about that scene because that's before he, he fights the squid. He just takes a big mouthful of water and takes yeah. a drink of it, and it's like, oh, it's nice to see that he actually eats and drinks, and presumably <laughs> and also sleeps. And Kong doing his thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know that that stuff's uh, fighting a giant fine. monster. Do you know, Kong actually disappears for a long time after that. A scene. long time, yeah. Uh, the, the only exception is is when John C. Riley is explaining who Kong is and the backstory. There, it does cut to him fighting the little versions of the the skull crawlers a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. After that, he is gone until Jackson and co. lure him out, basically. Oh, no, I tell a lie. There is that one small scene uh, with Brie Larson trying to lift up a helicopter. She, right, she, yeah. She's, she's not realizing she's not quite Captain Marvel yet, and she can't lift up a helicopter. And Kong is sneaky and sneaks up on her. Kong, <laughs> and is, her. <laughs> Kong is sneaky and lifts up. But this is the moment where he sort of recognizes, hey, you're not so bad. And she's like t- trying not to piss herself, basically. Right. <laughs> um but it's you know it's, uh, again it's, it's an okay scene on its own um, I, I mean i like the look of kong um i don't find him to be as sympathetic as i wanted him to be which is unfortunate but uh for the most part like i'm i'm really happy when he's on screen like his scenes although there aren't that many of them are are pretty good like i love his introduction mm-hmm. i think like you know we, we think we're getting a war film and then all of a sudden there's a giant ape <laughs> throwing trees at, at things it's kind of it's kind of nice to have uh you know obviously we're not going to get the empire state scene but we get the the introduction of kong fighting off helicopters instead of the ending of them which is kind of cute can i ask a question why do you keep saying you think we were getting a war film because as far as we know or as far as the characters know at least there's nothing to fight so no well it takes place in vietnam all of our, our main characters are are, are still in Denang, like they're on a, a base fighting or flying towards Skull Island. It, it's shot like a war movie. It's not, it's shot like one, but I, I, I never get the feeling that it's pretending to be one just because, like, obviously, because if anything, it actually becomes one once there's, a, once there's something to fight. You know, for Samuel Jackson, he's hoping it's going to be a war movie. And it's yeah. not until, it's not until Kong shows up that it, he's like, it really, yes! like when, Yeah, I guess once they're, once they're on. <laughs> Uh, Skull Island, it sort of becomes like we're in enemy territory and we need to get yeah. back home, which is very much like a lot of war films. Yeah, they're, they're trying to draw parallels with Vietnam, and that's why I think the Shia Wiggum story about the farmers kind of probably one of the more important character beats for the whole premise of the film. I, mm-hmm. Admittedly, I don't think it goes deep enough with it, and I think, well, Kong, I kind of agree and disagree that he's sympathetic or not sympathetic enough. On the one hand, I actually think I kind of like that he's not just like super heroic. It's more just that he's decent and he recognizes when someone's sticking up for him. He recognizes when she's in trouble. Uh, yeah, he's way more interactive with the humans than than Godzilla. Yeah, that said though, I do kind of hate the scene where they just kind of randomly run into him. It's, it's just Hiddleston and uh, Larson, and they're up on like sort of the edge of a cliff or trees or whatever. 
and Kong just kind of like steps out of the fog and they just have like a face-to-face where she touches him and the- I felt that moment was unearned. I'm like, you're trying to pretend to me to have this bond now and I just, I don't really buy it. So this scene feels really forced. Yeah, I mean, the reason Kong was attacking them was because they were dropping bombs on his island and letting loose the skull crawlers. Skull <laughs> crawlers, yes. Yeah. So he doesn't really have any reason to to trust them or to get close to them in any way. If anything, it may have been more powerful because after this, you know, Hiddleston and uh, Larson say, we're going to stop Jackson. We're going to stop him from killing Kong. Uh, because Jackson's whole thing uh, up until this point in the movie is to, be, is to get to where Toby Kebbell was because he was next to all the munitions and then we can mm-hmm. blow up Kong. And he's determined to still do that no matter what. The troops are all starting to get a bit edgy because it feels like he's not really caring that we have like a window to get to the exit point, the evac point, and he doesn't seem to be that concerned about it. But and there's this moment where there's a standoff, and it's like John C. Riley talks down, uh, you know, uh, Bandana Kid. He's like, "Hey, you know this is wrong, son. You know that in your heart that this is the wrong thing to do, and that he's not your enemy." And then he turns his gun on Samuel Jackson. I mean, I'm looking at what they've got in the film, and I'm saying to myself. Wouldn't this moment be great if this was the moment where Kong sort of, like, realized that, oh, not all of the humans, like, some of them are worth fighting for. That mm-hmm. this, this, this kid's sticking up for me. Because, I, I mean, they present Kong in a way that he does seem intelligent enough to recognize this was happening. That, to yeah. recognize that this is happening in front of him. That people are essentially trying to protect him. That Hiddleston and Larson kind of step in front of him and say, no, we're not going to let you do this. Uh, so... I mean, he does save... Kong does save Brie Larson eventually, mm-hmm. but it's because she uses the flare gun to help fight the big monster that is attacking Kong. So, I mean, they've had some a couple of connections beforehand, but I think that's also like the main reason, the main driver for him. Mm-hmm. But uh, he doesn't really have any other connections to the other characters except, yeah, and except that uh, they, you know, release the monsters through their arrogance or um, naivete. Yeah. Because there's that one moment with Hiddleston on the ship where they say their plan is, oh, we're going to drop seismic charges to like map the the ground based on vibrations. And Hiddleston's like, you're dropping bombs? <laughs> and they kind of deny it, but it's, it's kind of like the one time you might be like, ah, see, Hiddleston's our hero because he's like acknowledging the just the upfront bullshit that this is. He sees yeah. it for what it truly is. Yeah, and and Kong is knocked out during the scene where he gets uh, where where the the one soldier turns on Sam Jackson, and you know so they all turn on him. Yeah. So he doesn't really have that, um, that recognition of who's good and who's bad. Oh, oh I mean, for I sure. I guess he knows that. When that... I su- when I suggest that, I, I'm saying make him be awake so he can see it. Like make this be a moment for him yeah. to recognize it. I, I know in the movie he's actually knocked out and doesn't see any of it. You want to talk about the other monsters? That's the other big thing about the film, right? It's the skull crawlers. <laughs> I mean, I mean, th- not just them. We get we get a few insect like yeah. There's a, tr- there's a few other things. There's a there's some sort of they're not quite mammoths, but they're kind of mammoth esque. These are like the friendly herbivores of the island. Yeah, they look like a like a, a cross between a grizzly bear and like a water buffalo. Yeah, and like this is the this is the one of these things is what Brie Larson's trying to save when she's trying to lift up the helicopter again. You're not Captain Marvel yet. <laughs> Right? I know Loki's hanging around. Which, by the way, that's a good point. Godzilla 2014 had Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, and then this has uh, Captain Marvel Captain and Loki. Marvel and Nick Fury. And Nick Fury. And, 
John C. Riley is in Guardians of the Galaxy. Is he? Yeah, he's in the big trailer moment, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah, he's the guy on the <laughs> uh, on the planet. Yeah, he's like one of the. Uh, no, he, he's part of the Nova Corps. Yeah, Nova, he's in the Nova Corps. Yeah, he, he he's the one that uh, Pratt essentially gives the finger to, essentially. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and he has the family. Yeah, because he has that moment in Guardians. Where he's like, he's, his family's safe at the end, so he's kind of the heart of the planet. You know what? John C. Riley, his character with less screen time in Guardians of the Galaxy works better as the sort of a heart of that film. Not he's not the heart of the whole film, but he's the heart of that planet so that we care about saving the planet. And that's more mm -hmm. effective in Guardians with like three scenes than I think his character <laughs> is in this movie. Yeah. I mean I don't disagree. <laughs> just just throwing that out but there. But I don't I don't hate his character in this film. I don't hate it, but it's just, you know, it's better than the He's rest. the only person who has character in this film. Yes. That's not like ridiculous. I, that's not the right word. That's not uh, overwritten. But to get back to other monster scenes, so we have the mammoths uh, who are. We, we get like one scene early on where they kind of like the kid with the. And this is kind of, if anything, the kid with the bandana is probably the one who has the arc out of all the characters because he instantly wants to shoot this thing. He wants to shoot the mammoth mm -hmm. thing, and then the, the rest of them kind of realize, no, this thing's not causing us any harm. He's not like violent. He's He's, 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 yeah, he's and if you start shooting him, he might become violent. Yeah, he may, he may defend himself, and Hiddleston like, makes him put the gun down. And then at the end of the film, the fact that he's the one who turns on Jackson and says, no, we're not hurting this thing, it's not much, but it is kind of an arc. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. Okay. So, so you, ha you have them, uh, you have the giant spiders who, like, the legs look like just trees. Like, not mm -hmm. any trees, look like these sort of bamboo-esque trees that they're going through. Um... I like that one actually. Uh, yeah, they're all right as a design. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think it's pretty interesting. I like the that all the giant monsters on this island all have some sort of camouflage because there's a greater predator out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Reading like the the skull crawlers, I I think that's a, an interesting trait. I like I like the the daddy long leg spider bamboo legged creature i thought that was pretty cool plus they um, uh, have probably one of the most fun deaths i'd say when they, they sort of stab one of the guys through the mouth yeah and you look over it just so, like, looks like bamboo grew in through yeah. him <laughs> it's, no, yeah. it's, it's a fun little sequence um because skull island of course has always been like it's supposed to have housed a lot of different big creatures and wacky yeah, creatures like and, all these creatures are new with the exception of kong like there, I don't think any of them are repeats from no. from the uh, I would, other films. I would suggest the I'd, I'd I'd say they kind of maybe remix some like the, these giant spiders. Are like okay, we're not going to do the classic spider scene, but we're going to do mm -hmm. our own take on. So let's do this type of spider or something yeah. maybe. Yeah, and then the scene with uh, Toby Kebbell where he runs into like a walking stick, but instead of a stick, it's like a whole log, like a tree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. It's um, a neat, yeah, it's a neat visual. Uh, I, I like that. I like the idea that they could literally sit in something then it turns out to actually be alive right <laughs> like, you know, that's... and uh the other one is the like uh i think it's shay's character that sees the an ugly bird and shoots at it and then all of a sudden the tree just like comes alive and all all the leaves like start flying away you're like oh those are all birds like that that was a really cool visual i enjoyed it uh yeah that I... was that was jackson's character because he jackson's looks through, he looks through his scope and goes that's one ugly bird and then just shoots it and it, it kind of tells you who he is at that point it's like oh yeah. that's your first instinct is to just shoot the animal that is miles away and is causing no danger 
Right, right. It was Jackson. So, yeah. uh, I, I, I mean, I really enjoy the the monster reveals, the ones that are all camouflaged and then turn into something dangerous. That was all really fun. Yeah, actually, um, to go back to Wiggum's character for a second, uh, mm -hmm. Wiggum's character has a a moment with uh, uh with Mills where they compare their different interpretations of the lion and the mouse story, and <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, for current relief sake, it's just whatever, it's fine, but obviously it's setting up the idea of the movie where he's misheard, that his mother told him the wrong version, where the, the point of the story is that the mouse is able to kill the lion, and that's why he's saying, yeah, we can take down the big primate, and Mills is like, no, the point of that story is that the mouse befriends the lion because he helps him, and I wish the movie actually really tried to, like, go into it, because obviously that's the point of the movie, is that humans can befriend Kong and the, the Kong will then save them from the other nasty things. And mm -hmm. it, it technically does that, but I wish it really honed in. That's what the arc of the movie is. That's what the point of the movie is. And it feels like it's just kind of there, but very thin. It Well, it feels like it's played, that scene is played for a joke. So you do, you kind of just laugh or not laugh and yeah. then forget about it. But it's, I, I think it's meant to be there as like a foreshadowing or like a, here's what the movie's about. Right. Kind of right. thing. Well, yeah, I think the monster designs are all very cool, and um, oh. but I, I don't find them to be as memorable as like the monster scenes in the older versions of the film. I want to go back to Wigan for a second because I, I just thought of a way to fix his death. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. No, that's <laughs> he, is, this he is a great that he idea. could take on the <laughs> the lion. The, the lion. Well, first of all, actually, that's a good point. Maybe that's the point of that scene is that he thinks <laughs> he thinks he's the mouse and that's the lion, and then just learns that nah, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Maybe that's the point of the death. Maybe that's the point is that. He, he's trying to be the mouse that kills the lion and this is like saying no that's not the point of the story so therefore he dies because he didn't understand it but this is how i think you fix his death and give him more of an arc you still have him sacrifice himself you you, you don't have the stupid it fails part right you just have him sacrifice himself but don't have him sacrifice to save the humans have him sacrifice himself to save kong right so then he becomes the mouse that sacrifices himself to save and I suppose technically that's what Brie kind of does because even though her shooting the flare is not what gets her, it's not like the monster attacks her because she hits hits him with the flare. The monster, he just happens to bump into the, the cliff she's on <laughs> at one point. It's not a, like an intended attack, but mm -hmm. uh, that's where that's maybe that's how you make his death work and you make it tie back into that earlier little conversation about the, the mouse and the lion story is you have him realize that Kong's the thing they have to help. So he learns the true meaning of the story and goes out a hero saving Kong. And maybe if you're not going to have Kong witness the, the, the gun standoff, maybe you have him witness this and this is what makes him see, hey, that human just saved me and sacrificed himself for me. Instead, we get like Brooks showing up with a minigun on the boat and it does almost nothing. <laughs> and it's kind of a whatever scene. Yeah. Well, it happens while Kong is like chained up, which is kind of like, wow, I remember the... The first movie where he was chained up in front of humans, now he's chained up again. So. Yeah, I mean it is nice to see him use the propeller uh, from the from the from the ship <laughs> yeah. as a weapon. Uh, of course, the actual ending of the fight is that so he catches Brie Larson. Well, he doesn't catch her. He picks her up out of the water. She's fell in the water, and he picks her up. And then Mullis, she's still in his closed hand because then the monster starts fighting him again, and tries to eat his hand. He then just rips out the innards of the monster, killing him. <laughs> because he yeah, that'll do it. He notably tries to go for the jaw snap at one point, like he, he goes mm -hmm. for that move, but then it doesn't quite. 
work. So he ends up doing something else. Involving the mouth, though, admittedly. It's not a very weak point for these big monsters. Right. <laughs> Go for the mouth. Which is easy if you're a big monster. I think if you're a human, going for the mouth is just certain death. But <laughs> that's just uh, how it is. It's just a snack. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how, do you, how do you feel about the actual big final monster fight? I enjoy the fight. Um, I don't hate the design of the of the skull crawl skull crawlers. Um, I don't know why it's hard for me to remember. Sk <laughs> skull crawlers, 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 Sk skull critters. Um, <laughs> the Pokemon. Um, I was thinking critters, I, I think... as in critters in space, and like critters <laughs> to what? Oh, what was the? I haven't ah. seen any of the critters. I don't know. You haven't seen critters. Well, okay. Um, I like. I mean, they're kind of a they're kind of a cool design. They have like that killer whale thing where it has like the false eyes that make it look um, scarier, <laughs> which is kind of neat. Um, I like. Uh, yeah, I like the detail that they don't digest bones, so they have to like after they like digest the parts that they want from the from whatever they eat, they they throw up the they regurgitate the bones and stuff. So that there's always a, a bone graveyard wherever they are, wherever they live. That's kind of cool. Well, that's kind of the big um, centerpiece of the movie is one once the two teams meet up. It's probably just over halfway, but uh, because they want to get to where Toby Kebbell's character is, uh, they have to go through this this graveyard. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, John C. Riley's like, "This is insane! No, this is this is the graveyard where the, the evil monsters like put all the remains. Like this is suicide going through here." But of course, Jackson won't hear it. And this is where John Goodman dies. This is where we get the stupid samurai sword slow motion and the green smoke scene. Yeah, John Goodman's death is also one that I don't love. It, it is just very like, oh, well, that's it. He's over. <laughs> I think his whole character feels kind of like that because you want to like him because he's John Goodman. But I don't think it gives you enough <laughs> either way to really truly feel... I mean, obviously, he does kind of get a lot of people killed by bringing them into this island without really giving them an idea of what he's expecting to find, but he never comes off as truly villainous either. He kind of, again, he comes off in this vague middle ground where I just don't know how to feel about him. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's consistent. <laughs> it's consistently bland and... Eh? <laughs> eh? Yeah, we're pretty negative in this movie, huh? Yeah. Well, even, even this, going back to it, wanting to feel cool, there's a moment in this, again, this sort of foggy graveyard sequence with all the bones, where at one point after the first monster shows up, uh, Jackson yells out, oh, set up the 50 caliber or whatever, and there's like a couple of quick sh cuts, and then it's just like someone set up like the big giant machine gun on top of like the mm -hmm. skull of a uh, triceratops, and it's like in between mm -hmm. the, the horns, and I'm like, they're trying really hard for like, that cool visual. They're trying really hard. I do like that they showed that uh, some of the old monsters from the original film are on this island, or at least used to be. Yeah, yeah. At one point, though, like, it was cool to see just a dinosaur skull. Yeah, it's kind of neat. It's, it's kind of a neat thing. Uh, actually, do you know what I think one of the big problems with the skull crushers are is that we don't actually see or get any hints of them until John C. Riley explains what they are. There's no <laughs> hints of a greater enemy. There's no hints of anything. The, the main thing that we should be scared of, that the characters should be scared of, or the, the main thing that Kong has to fight and protect everyone <laughs> from, it's not introduced until it's being explained by John C. Riley. So it feels like he introduces them, and then there's a scene with Cable, like, you know, five minutes later, where he gets killed by one of them. It's like, oh, they're here now, I guess. Uh, 
I don't know. It's unfulfilling. <clears throat> I think oh, that's a really good descriptive word of this movie, actually. <laughs> unfulfilling. <laughs> um, I think a lot of like what I love about the other Kong movies, not just like the first one, is just the island is so dangerous. Like there is no safe part of this island. Um, maybe where the villagers are, but like, and they have a wall there to protect them. But like, that's it. Like as soon as everybody enters in, it, they're in nothing but danger the entirety of the time that they are behind the wall. And although this movie does convey that, like there, it, there is obviously a lot of danger and people do die. Um, I don't feel the horror of the deaths, like, or the horror of the island, like I do with the other movies. Even the 1933 one, I think, is better at that. I think because it's so bright and it's almost very sort of network TV looking at times with its color palette that it, you never really get a feeling of being somewhere otherworldly. It just feels like, oh, we're walking through Hawaii or whatever. <laughs> like, it's, there's nothing... Maybe. Yeah, I didn't uh, think about that, but maybe you're right. I, I think that may be part of it. Uh, I d if I'm going to give some compliments to things that they have altered here, again, especially with the idea of this Kong that's going to continue into other movies... I do like the idea that instead of being this this god that they sacrifice blonde women to, uh, that he <laughs> he is a protector. He does protect them, and mm -hmm. you know the reason why they have this safe part of the island is because Kong kind of guards it in a lot of ways, and and it makes yeah. him. It's like okay, so he is kind of heroic, and he does have this natural uh, incline to to help and look out for uh, those in need. The smaller creatures, yeah, yeah, which is neat, and. It kind of gives him something comparable to this version of Godzilla that he's going to co-inhabit, and a reason why they ultimately probably will team up to take on what the real villain of Godzilla versus Kong is. I think it's pretty obvious what it is. I won't say it for spoilers. I think sake. so too. But <laughs> I'm excited. Unless the trailer is misleading us. It has to be. It has to be. It has to be. Anyway, uh, so I. So I, I like that part. I like that part of the, of what they've done with the lore. I, guess, I mean, conceptually, there's nothing wrong with this movie. Like, like there's, there's nothing where I'm like, oh, I can't believe they made that choice for Kong or they made that choice for how the island works. I'm fine with everything, like, conceptually. It's more just how it feels and the, the character journeys and arcs just not really ha either existing or being so paper thin. Like, Brie Larson's, you know, if she's meant to be the the woman who has a connection with Kong, it just it feels so just devoid of anything. Like I feel nothing mm -hmm. for it. Uh, the, by the end, I'm just kind of like, eh. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I guess it's good to have a more modern female role, and she's not the damsel in distress the whole time. Uh, she has like she is playing a character that is like in a war zone you know, trying to do the right thing to show people, to show the world the truth. And, you know, there is a bit of a love interest, but it doesn't really follow through. And although I, I do think that is, you know, the right direction. I don't, I do think it also kind of falls flat for the character because they're just, they've given her kind of nothing. You have to do something. <laughs> she, yeah. She's sort of a, a proto Captain Marvel in a way, but um, yeah, I mean, the tone shifts in this movie are so strange to me, and uh, yeah, everybody's just sort of flat, like one-dimensional, and they don't have, they don't have enough arcs, or anything, or yeah. there's, there's just too many of them. Yeah, the thing with her is that you, you totally can have a strong character, a strong female character, 
who does ultimately still need to be saved by the big monster, the big friendly monster. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think an obvious comparison here is is Lois Lane. Like, she can, she, you know, she, she's not not exactly a journalist, but kind of, you know, the, like this is in the ballpark. She's more of a Jimmy Olsen in terms of actual role, but in in the sense mm-hmm. that Lois Lane gets into trouble not because she's a damsel and because she's dumb. She gets into trouble because she's so damn stubborn. It's a character flaw, but it's a flaw that comes from a place that's not just, ah, stupid woman getting into trouble or she can't save herself. She, she's stubborn and arrogant and hard-headed and, and all these things. And I'm not saying Brie Larson's character in this has to be that. She, she, she could be a number of things. But they give us like a little bit of character at the start where she kind of has a disagreement with Samuel Jackson about like what her role is and... You know, there's, there's the interaction with the guy from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine where he's like, you're a woman. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and, but from that point on, so other than those interactions at the start where she faces a little bit of adversity because she's a woman from that character and then Samuel Jackson gives her some shit because, as he puts it, she's the reason why people back home stop supporting the war. And after that point, though, for the rest of the movie... Do either of those things ever factor into anything that she does or interacts with anyone? Or ha- I mean, she keeps taking pictures. <laughs> yeah, but that's not to do anything to do with the adversity stuff. Can I get an A? Yeah, I guess she's the more compassionate one. She tries to to have more of a connection to the nice creatures on the on the on the island and the, the natives. Um, that's about it. I guess what I'm saying here is that they introduce a lot of themes and they want to try and parallel Vietnam with going to Skull Island and they want to do all these things and they, they raise some of these ideas up in, in the dialogue and the conversation. But ultimately, they say very little or are so like thinly veiled and they just don't do anything with it. There's no, there's no poignant statements being made by the end. Like, you can see what they wanted to try and do with it, but they didn't really know how. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Sorry, my, sorry about my dog. She's whining. <laughs> what do you think about the end of the movie? And by the end of the movie, I mean the fact that we don't actually get to even see them make the evac point. They kind of, they're just on the little, you know, makeshift boat. Because we don't even mention that John C. Riley and his buddy before he died made a, a boat out of their, their jet parts, uh, their plane parts, into a little raft to go upriver. Uh, we don't actually get to see them how they evacuate. It's even mentioned early on that they have no choppers left, that they would just be signaling for the boat to come and like, send some sort of evac, even though we saw... Uh, I think they said there's there's supposed to be like a refueling team that's supposed to show up in three days or something early on in the movie. That's why they have to get to the other side of the island. Well, yeah, but like... Like, well, they have so there enough- is a rescue plan. <laughs> like someone's going in to to get them. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it was a refuel for all the choppers. They don't actually have necessarily. I mean, there's not a lot of them left, admittedly. So I mean, maybe they can just like fit <laughs> fit in whatever the refueling chopper or boat <laughs> fit, is. Fit in the refuel tanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, we don't even get to see them sort of make it. They just kind of uh, like they, they watch Godzilla. Oh, Godzilla. Sorry wishful thinking they watch kong walk off after he's like had his fight and he's put larson down uh and that's it the movie just well it ends it, it cuts to of course they knew that there was only one character that actually had any kind of heart in the movie so that's why we mm-hmm. end with john c Riley, where there's references to him of course wanting to go to ridley field and get a hot dog and a beer and meet mm-hmm. his son and his wife 
and we get to see all that, which they do in like a sort of old timey, you know, film in the square kind of blurry box. Right with the with multiple cameras though. With multiple cameras, yeah, because it switches like camera angles. <laughs> yeah, it was more of a stylistic choice. I don't think they were actually trying to pretend that this was like a home movie that was being filmed. They just wanted to have it look like yeah. that. So right, right. Uh, and then the credits start playing as it as as that's wrapping up. But well, I mean, we we know that at least John C. Riley and Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston and um, the straight out of Compton guy and the Asian <laughs> girl they all make it off because we see them in the post credit. Well, you can. So I I guess I guess the refueling team was able to rescue them. Yeah, we can... I mean the point of like it's Kong's movie. It's supposed to be Kong's movie. Him walking away as victorious is the ending of the film yes and beating his chest i mean actually you know what we never even really talked about uh what he does to the helicopter so that much in, in the big like coming out scene because you know he throws a tree <laughs> through a chopper uh mm-hmm. he also grabs a couple he there's a great there's actually like a really funny moment where jackson's like yelling that he's coming to help someone and then kong just slaps the person away <laughs> or just slaps <laughs> yeah. the chopper away and that's kind of a funny little dark like hey he dead. Yeah, Kong, Kong versus helicopters. You know that's uh, that's classic. It was fun to see right away. I think it's a really strong opening for his character for for Kong. Like it's a really great scene. Like it, you know, the Black Sabbath is playing, and all of a sudden a tree is just like flying through the air, and someone yells "Incoming!" and all of a sudden it's a different film. Like it's it's a really strong start. Yes, and who can forget the iconic cut where you've got that shot where it's inside the helicopter as Kong's holding it. And the person falls into Kong's mouth, but just as the person's about to hit Kong's mouth, it cuts to one of the scientists biting into a sandwich. Classic <laughs> cut. I'm being a little facetious, if that's not clear. <laughs> hey, we see in the 30s we get to see Kong chopping on humans. Like, why couldn't we see it this time? Because it's more realistic now, and it would get an R rating. <laughs> Dang it! We'd see like blood <laughs> squirting. It would be like it would. It would actually like see if he actually shot like that. That shot looking down. If he fell in the mouth and, like, Kong just, like, sort of chomped a couple of times, it would actually be, like, really brutally violent. <laughs> like, all the blood, and if they did it realistic, you know? Oh, yeah. Bits of, like, intestines. It wouldn't be, like, just puppets with arms wailing. <laughs> <laughs> I think there, there are better ways of, like, uh, of doing it. Like, there, there are ways of showing brutality without really showing it. Yeah, implied brutality. I mean, they do it, I guess, by the scientists chomping on a sandwich. But I, I don't know. Like there, there could have been a less silly way for it. And to be fair, the spider leg goes through the guy who's quite brutal. Uh, even though it's mm-hmm. the silhouette, the scientist guy who gets like picked off, p- picked up off the boat with the birds, and him getting ripped apart in front mm-hmm. of the sun is quite brutal. There are, there are reasonably brutal things. It's PG thirteen, but it goes as probably as far as they were allowed to go. I'd imagine. Yeah. So, right. uh, and while some of them feel overly cruel, they are just on a sort of horror movie. Let's watch some a gory death scene with some of them are a little bit fun in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I cared about the characters. I wish I cared about their arcs and cared about the story. Unfortunately, I do not, and I'm left just. I mean, you said. I mean, we said it earlier. Underwhelming is kind of just how the whole thing feels. Unfulfilling. Unfulfilling. Underwhelming. It also work. Also works. <laughs> You're right. It was unfulfilling. Yes, it was both. It was unfulfilling, underwhelming, and I'm unimpressed. Just to complete the the the, the trio of uns. It's unfortunate. 
Uh, alright, do you want to rate? It, do you want to rate Kong? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't really, um, enjoy the movie as much as I was hoping I would the second viewing. Um, when I saw it in theaters, I, I left pretty underwhelmed and unfulfilled. Um, and I, just talking about the movie with you, um, makes me like it even less. <laughs> uh, there are some, there are some good moments. But I think ultimately, um, it's just, it's just sort of underwritten and, um, I'll, I'll say it, I don't think it's very well directed and it lacks the confidence that I think you brought up earlier. Um, because it's just, it's just too try hard. And I, I know a lot of people really love this movie. I mean, Matt on the show loves, um, loves Kong, Skull Island. (laughs) I think a lot of people who didn't like Godzilla like Kong Skull Island a lot. Um, people are somewhat apologists for the film because they love King Kong so much. Um, he's big, but that's really it. <laughs> I don't know what makes Kong so special in this film versus the other versions of him, other than he's just extra big. Um, so yeah, I... I I, I don't hate the movie. It's not a horrible watch. I just don't. I just don't think it's very good, uh, especially coming off of Godzilla, which I absolutely love. Um, I'll I'll give it a a five point five. Beth, and that was higher than what I was expecting, given everything you uh, everything you said. Yeah, I know I'm pretty negative, but I mean, the good. There are some good moments in it. Um, I do like the creature designs. Um. There, there is some some praise for the film, but for the most part, yeah, I've, I've just been concentrating on the negatives. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was more lenient when I first saw it. I think, ah, uh, you know, some of the deaths, Kong's kind of cool looking. I like that he seems kind of heroic or whatever, even if it's a bit undercooked. Mm-hmm. Watching it again, like the the faults of the film just kind of make it, like. <sighs> I always say it's something that I'll never watch again because it is still relatively easy to watch. It's just not like a, a trying, taxing film. It's easy to put on, and especially if you're going to do something else while it's on. Which I, I mean, I, I watched it <laughs> properly for the the show because I always sit there and pay attention because I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. But mm-hmm. that is a movie where I, I sort of let it play again just because we delayed the recording due to tech issues, and I just sort of let it play again earlier and. Yeah, it was just kind of easy to have on as, as to refresh my memory and like so, some of the cool shots are still cool. Some of the, the grizzly deaths are still nice and grizzly, but uh, I think even if you're going to do something that's really simple and basic, which is man wants to get home to a wife and child, if that even though that's simple and cliched, it does work if you don't like lean on it too much. And I think. This is an example of them trying to not do the normal thing and in doing so end up with nothing instead. So I will I'm tempted to agree. I I, I think I am le- slightly less harsh, so I will give it the six out of ten. I think it's watchable. I think there's some fun moments. I don't think it's completely devoid of value, even though I think this has been a largely negative discussion because <laughs> it just because it shouldn't be that hard to at least give me some dumb fun but it feels like i can't even just let 
I can't just let my brain go and enjoy the dumb fun because it's 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 like prodding at things a little bit or it's trying to pretend that I should care about certain things and I just you're not. If you're going to be schlocky, then just be a schlocky movie. Then fine, I'll get into the schlock. But true, I don't yeah. think that's what it's really. You know, I wasn't. It was trying to do more than that, and it fails. And because of that, uh, you feel it, and you feel yeah. unfulfilled. <laughs> Put that on the poster. Unfulfilled. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it'd be like buying an empty pop tart. Who wants an empty pop tart? Yeah, or like the strawberry without the frosting on the top. Mm. Apparently, that one's popular too. Madness. Just get the frosting. <laughs> I think I think you buy pop tarts that have no frosting. What is this madness? If you have made it this far in the review, put the words. Unfulfilling. Monkey business. What? <laughs> Monkey business. <laughs> well, I was going to go with unfulfilling because it was relevant to the. We don't want a bunch of comments saying that our video is unfulfilling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Monkey business. You could put monkey business. <laughs> if you want extra points, put monkey business and unfulfilling into a sentence together and get bonus points. <laughs> uh, there you go. That's uh, that. Uh, Tara's going to pose for the thumbnail. So if you could dip your head a little bit, just so it's not cut off. There you go. <laughs> Three, two, one. Pose. <laughs> what a face! That's this. That, that may be the the most beautiful photo of Tara that's ever been on the thumbnail we've ever had. As the face Looking she just put right there. <laughs> I'm not a vanity person. So I have a question, Tara. What are you more interested in here? The 1 out of 10 reviews or the 10 out of 10 reviews? <laughs> Given that we were in the middle. Oh, yeah. I think uh, maybe the 10s. You want to see the 10s? All right. Let's I want to the... see people defend the movie. Let's see what some of these 10s say. Uh, from Eric David Ami, Kong Skull Island is the, all caps, perfect monster movie. Ooh. Ratings are dead. Bring on the next thing. Wait, what? Is he talking about movie ratings? Shop, go away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Action-packed adventure film that is a must-see event. Uh, they finally got King Kong right. Oh, that's a title one. <laughs> there you go. I mean, he's fine. Kong is king. Oh, did you love when Samuel Jack said, "Let's show Kong." That man is king. Did you like that line? Did you like that? Was it good? Was it... Yeah, it was fine. Did it tickle you? Did it tickle you? Uh, I I kind of hated it, not because I think the line itself is bad. I just don't think... like I feel like Samuel Jackson might have heard once by this point that his name is Kong, and I don't know if they've actually even referenced the fact that he's seen as a king in front of him, so it felt really forced to be like, hey, he's doing the name of the movie backwards. I went to see this movie twice in a row just for the sneaky epilogue. Sneaky epilogue. Is that what we're calling post-credit scenes now? Sneaky epilogues? <laughs> I like it. I guess. I mean, yeah, I guess it's an epilogue and setting up the next film, which hey, we'll be watching. It's the only reason why you know that technically some of the characters survived. Well, oh, well you know John C. Riley survived. But, mm -hmm. yeah. Also, I love that when, he, when John C. Riley goes home and meets his son for the first and his son's like 30, I love that he's got the big mm -hmm. 70 sideburns. It's like, it's, I love that yeah. John, John C. Riley's like, whoa, what is this style? <laughs> he's, he's out of the 40s. 
Yeah, he's part of the greatest generation. And seeing his son become a hippie? <laughs> it's going to be some problems. Yes. Did we win the war? Which one? Figures. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, that is that. Is that. Uh, of course, uh, Godzilla King and the Monsters is, is next on the list. So, uh, look forward to that. Uh, you can support everything we do by liking and subscribing. It's very important on YouTube for the algorithm. That's true. Tara, would you like to promote anything uh, before the wrap-up? Uh, yeah. Um, I'd say if you're uh, if you're a fan of science fiction, then um, we've been working our way through the original Twilight Zone. So, um, yeah, if you like old science fiction stories and some horror stories and sometimes comedy <laughs> go check out our reviews and follow along with us we're working our way through season three it's been it's been fun yeah uh yeah go do that uh otherwise catch us on twitter at mailed underscore fuzz for channel updates uh but that is us so thank you once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep watching science fiction and computer at salsa I hate every ape I see, from chimpanzee <laughs> to chimpanzee.